0: welcome to episode 163 of wheel bearings i'm sam abu al samid from guidehouse insights
1: i'm rebecca linn from rebecca drives
0: and dan is off busy doing battle with a server this evening so he's he won't be joining us uh rebecca you've been driving a bunch of stuff uh since we last recorded uh why don't you start off
1: I have been driving. It was very exciting, actually. So I went on two media events last week. The first was the 2021 Subaru Crosstrek. Uh, this is actually a, it's a it's a vehicle that I've I really have liked for a long time. I think it's a great size. It kind of falls in that like compact crossover. Uh, it's still five passenger, and it's it's you know, not the roomiest thing, but it's such a great city car if you want to have that off-road feel. Um, and it's probably gonna handle some of those potholes in this many cities better than other <laughs> vehicles for sure. But um, this one is, it's, they consider it fully redesigned. It is on a global platform now. And but it it looks familiar, which I like. Like you're not going to look and say, well, "What the heck did they do to the Crosstrek?" It it's just they just dialed it up a little bit. The interior is really really nice. They did a great job on the interior. It also has a, a new engine. There there's two engine options actually. One is a 2.0 liter which, with 152 horsepower. The one that I tested was a 2.5 liter, 182 horsepower. So 30 more horsepower. Uh, the lower engine, the, the smaller engine comes in a six-speed manual. And then the upper engine uh, is an automatic, which is what, what what I tested. Of course, all Subarus have all-wheel drive um, to them. and At least
0: in North America.
1: At least in North America, yes. and This one has uh, 1,500 pounds of towing capacity and 8.7 inches of ground clearance. And years ago, um, gosh, soon after the vehicle came out, actually, I actually wrote about the I looked at the, some of the best vehicles in a post-Hurricane Sandy world, and the Crosstrek was actually my number one pick because it got really good fuel economy, and it had really good ground clearance, so it was especially of note when I looked at that. And um, Fuel economy was about, combined, you're going to get about 27, 28, 29. It's rated at 29, and I would say I got somewhere pretty close to that, driving through, um, and pretty pretty aggressive driving, actually, through the hills uh, of Virginia, so it was lovely to be back on the road, and it was, uh, it, the, the flight was maybe a third full. I did have to go to JFK, fly out of JFK to Dallas because they're not doing the Delta shuttle out of LaGuardia anymore, uh, so hopefully that will come back, but Delta did a really really good job they have you know all the middle seats are empty if you if you can and if not if this was a this was a uh two and two setup uh on a crj 900 so but again there was 15 people on the flight (laughs) there there was 14 and 14 people on the flight down and 15 people on the flight back so it was pretty uh it was pretty sparse but um, back to the car. So overall, I just think you know the the Crosstrek is just one of those just comfortable, fun, urban vehicles that does a lot of things really well. It has really nice athletic refinement. It was quiet on the road. I did have it up to about fifty on some of the gravel, the soft gravel roads, and I slammed on the brakes just to see what would happen. Nobody else was around. It was an easy thing to do. And that thing stayed so straight and true. It really made me feel good about, you know, being on the road in this thing because there was clearly some really nice torque vectoring going on. And it just it just settled right in. Like it was like, okay, this is what we want to do. We're going to stop for you right now. And I loved that sort of, that, that feeling of confidence that it inspired. Of course, there's an absolute ton of accessories that you can get. Uh, there's this um, really thick, padding, uh, thick rubber uh, liners that come in with the cargo area, and then you can actually get them on the backs of the second row seats. So if you put the whole entire seat down, you have this floor uh, with a heavy rubberized floor, basically, so that you can put all sorts of so if you're there regularly there and, carrying
0: big stuff, you, you can pr- have a protected surface there. A
1: big or wet stuff, okay. right? So you want to throw a damp daisy in there? <laughs> you can, <laughs> you know, which is great. And it was, you know, short money. I mean, the the list of accessories were, it was very long and they're all, you know, 100 bucks here, 200 there. It, they're not trying to gouge you. So, and, and, it can, and you can really personalize it on the Subaru site. When you go to build the Crosstrek, you can really pick and choose. Are those
0: are those things like dealer installed accessories or you know, things For the like the most rubberized- part, you
1: can oh. order them yeah you can order them with the vehicle okay. uh, and then you can you can add them after as well
0: so uh, so something like those those rubberized covers yeah. are, is that something that's easily taken out if you absolutely if you didn't want? okay
1: yes absolutely it comes with the so the cargo bay area comes with the rubberized mat and then the back of the seat maps uh, mats they just kind of click on uh, okay. they're, they're like hooked in there so it's almost like floor mats okay. you know you can just you can interchange them very easily so the one so the base on this is 23 295 and that includes a thousand dollars of destination and then as tested mine came in at just over twenty nine thousand, and uh and and that includes destination so you know, I, I did the Limited, which is the top of the line. They also had the Sport there, which I think is a little bit less expensive. Sorry, let me just get some water. Yeah.
0: That, I mean, that, that 23000 and change price, you know, for the base price, you know, for a car that's standard with all-wheel drive is actually pretty reasonable. That's it, uh, you, I think it'd, it'd be hard-pressed to find another all-wheel drive vehicle for much less than that.
1: Absolutely, and, and you know we we talk a lot about pricing. Um, I think that we're all, you know, pretty practical and frugal in many ways. Um, about try to be well, we try. You know, yeah. there's an occasional. Uh, <laughs> we're not gonna we're not gonna turn our noses up at anything. <laughs> but I think that you know when I look at at what you're getting for twenty nine thousand dollars, I think that's just it's fantastic. It really is. And I should correct myself. I actually got 26 miles per gallon in aggressive driving, is what I wrote in combined. <laughs> so um, standard
0: standard Rebecca driving, then.
1: Standard Rebecca driving, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I just, obviously, Subaru has, you know, a great <laughs> legacy, kidding. Uh, but, you know, they have a great history of, of you know animal welfare and environmental awareness they do have a vegan option so they have leather seats and then they also have a vegan option that actually is free of chlorine of pvc of you know obviously animal products and such so which is a nice touch like that's something that you know is important to particularly to a subaru buyer and so they acknowledge that they celebrate that and and they do offer a vegan option
0: and, to, you know, to uh, reference Daisy, who you mentioned earlier, um, you know, she proudly wears her Subaru dog tag that I got ah. for her at the Chicago Auto Show every day. I mean, yes, on that's her collar awesome. every day, So
1: <laughs> That's awesome. I love it. Yeah. So, yeah, so I think that, you know, if you're in that market for that compact crossover, I mean, this is really, you know, I feel like the Subaru Crosstrek is really the perfect either college car, if you can afford it, or post college car because you're still going to be hauling stuff around if you're like most college kids you're still going to be hauling stuff around you're going to be throwing stuff in there your friends are going to be moving you're going to be moving you know it's that it's that kind of just really good where you've got the utility that you need but you don't feel like you're hauling around a bunch of car that you don't need when if it's just you driving so I just—it's I, it's the so modern equivalent
0: of, of what I had in college. You know, and when I was in college, I drove an '84 GMC S15 pickup. Back when nice. compact pickups were actually, you know, compact, um, and they were dirt cheap. You know, and you know today, if you want a, a, you know, anything close to that, you know, the closest you're gonna get is gonna cost you, you know, thirty grand or more. Yeah. You know, and oftentimes upwards of forty grand for, you know, for a smaller pickup, and so. Yeah, you're right. You know, something like this, you know, is the perfect kind of vehicle for, you know, a college student or a recent grad, uh, you know, where you are moving around. You've got, or, you know, I mean, anybody else that, you know, needs to, needs to haul stuff around. You know, I think it's got a, a decent amount of cargo space in there. Yeah. With the beats down, right?
1: It does. Absolutely. I mean, I think it's a great MD Nestor vehicle also. Yeah. What I, one of the things I love about it for that flexible lifestyle that people have, you know, after, when you know like you and your wife like you know some but sometimes kids come home or you need to do stuff like it's just there's a there's just the right amount of cargo that you need you're not going to be moving an entire apartment in this thing but you are going to help a friend out with it and again what i love is that it's the the cargo and the flexibility is there but you don't feel like you're hauling around too much ass when it's not
0: there you know it's it's big it's big enough to take a couple of pieces of ikea furniture yes
1: exactly uh it does come with eyesight with the the subaru uh, is that standard so a a lower trim a lower version like a base version is standard and then you have to uh you have to bump up to the to get uh the full complement Okay. Of safety features, which is unfortunate because, you know, we always like it when they try and include as much um, in in the standard package as possible.
0: Well, it looks like uh, it looks like Eyesight, um, at least the you know, the basic version of Eyesight uh, that's standard, does include adaptive cruise control and lane centering.
1: It does, and that's so, new for them. Yes, yeah,
0: because yeah, that was previously an extra cost option. So now you get it on everyone.
1: Yes, you do. Um, I always like to see, and I apologize. I, I knew this um, last week when I was when I was working on my review because I always like to see whether it has um, the blind spot monitoring or and the rock, rear cross traffic alert, mm-hmm. and those are some of the things that you have to that you have to upgrade to. So. Right. So I say, so driver assist technology, it's standard on the sport and limited, which is actually all they had us drive. Uh, and then the, the lower trim levels, the base and the premium, it's optional on there. Um, blind spot detection and rear cross traffic alert is optional on premium and sport, but standard unlimited. The limited that I drove really had, had Everything in terms of options that you could get, but you know, overall, though, they've got a lot of safety features. Um, obviously, you know, daytime running lights, they've got the rear vision camera on there. Uh, and but you do have to, you know, again, I, I would love to see like blind spot monitoring included in that, but yeah, at least it's, it's an option.
0: Yeah, at least it, it's good that it's available, but yeah, I agree, it should that's one that should be part of the standard package for everybody. Um, And, you know, for, for those not familiar with eyesight, I think I can't remember if we've talked about it before, but you know, this is a little bit different from a lot of the adaptive cruise control systems. Most ACC uses a radar sensor. uh, And then you also typically have a camera as well for the lane keeping assist. Um, and the the radar sensors used to measure the the distance to the car ahead of you uh, eyesight is a stereo vision camera, so two cameras um and they're using the parallax between the two cameras to try to get that depth perception um, yeah and I, I i've I've found that it generally works pretty well, surprisingly well um but you know it's you know obviously like any camera system it's going to have limitations in bad weather or you know fog when you probably shouldn't be using. AC right. <laughs> uh, cruise control anyway, anyway.
1: And I will say that one of the things, so, so the two cameras that, that you referenced, they're on either side of the um, rear view mirror. Mm-hmm. And that makes the casement for the rear view mirror very large. Okay. in that windscreen. So I, when I first got set up, I noticed that the, the front A pillar was quite narrow, which actually it turns out that there's high strength steel in there. So that was cool because they, they did that. They, they were very conscious of the fact that that pillar needed to be narrow. And that, in, in, that impedes my visibility because I sit so close to the car. But then out of my right eye, the corner of my right eye, I was like, what am I seeing? Well, this is so weird. And then I realized that it, it was one of the eyesight casements. So it it was something that once it's kind of like once I knew it, it disappeared, but it was definitely distracting at times. And again, I think it's more just because I sit up close that I was very conscious of it. And after a while, it didn't bother me. But, uh, but it is important to know that, you know that you do have to kind of look it's, at that it's a visibility. larger package
0: it's a larger package than yeah. what most cars because you know so most cars you have a single camera and that package is usually you know above and in front of the mirror so the mirror you know is between you and that package with the camera in it and right. it usually doesn't extend out beyond the sides of the mirror
1: so right.
0: so it's 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 in an area where it's not Generally going to impede your vision anyway because the mirror's there, um, but because those cameras need to be farther apart to to in order to do that depth measurement, that package is inherently larger uh, with the eyesight system than it is. with Oh,
1: others. so that right, and that makes sense. So they do have to have a certain um, a certain width apart. Yeah, as you say it to get that angle. Okay, yeah. So that was the only. And again, it, it's in it's in no way, shape, or form a reason not to purchase this vehicle, <laughs>
0: right.
1: you know, it just, again, it's just, you know, I always like to talk about things that I just notice when I'm driving. And it was, it was kind of just something that I thought, what is that? But overall, I was really, really happy with this vehicle. It was just, you know, it was just such a good solid car. And again, for that price point, for under 30 grand to get a fully loaded, cause it's, that was the limited, you know, that's just, I mean, that's just serious, the, the Sport Track is $26,495. The Limited is $27,995. So, you know, you're still, I mean, you just to get into that range, I think it's just a fantastic vehicle to get that all wheel drive, to get those, you know, a good Subaru boxer engine out of it, uh, to get decent fuel economy, you know, and those safety features. It's just, there's, there's a lot, they packed a lot into that vehicle.
0: Yeah. Now all they got to do is stuff a WRX engine in it. <laughs> You're perfect. Or an STI engine.
1: You know, um, they, it was surprising though. It, it was, it had, it had enough pep. I would have obviously loved to have had a manual, but, um, but they did a good job with it though. Yeah. You know,
0: 185, you know, 100, 180, 85 horsepower, whatever it is, you know, is plenty for almost everything. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. So, what did you have after that when you got back?
1: So after that, I I actually drove another off-road vehicle. I got the chance to drive the brand new Land Rover Defender. And I'm not gonna lie, I like I kind of jumped up and down and down in excitement <laughs> when they invited me. <laughs> and and I, I was, I will be the first to admit, I was a last minute ad. And uh, ironically, uh, the reason that they had a spot was because one of our friends, Brian, uh, couldn't go. And the reason he couldn't go was because he lives in Maryland and the state of Maryland is on the quarantine list. Oh, so you gotta be quarantined for two weeks when you come to New York. Right, but I actually saw him at the Subaru event, (laughs) which is how we did this math. And at first I was like, wait a minute. So he
0: infected you and then you infected everybody else.
1: But fortunately, I was, I came back early from Virginia because I was done and I was like, why not just come back early, which is a good thing because you, if you're in a state less than 24 hours, you don't have to quarantine. So I was in Virginia for 23 hours. (laughs) (laughs) So, so on to the defender. So. The Land Rover Defender, it's back in the States. I think it left in 1997. Uh, It it was actually only sold in the States for a few years. So they're very rare and they're incredibly collectible and they go for outrageous sums of money um, for these really stripped down vehicles. But so the new Defender's back, they started production back in January, got interrupted by COVID. Uh, they were able to deliver vehicles in June, and now they've, there's about 2,000 of them on the road. But the media is just getting a chance to drive them because everything's been on hold. So uh, we we were driving the uh, 2020 Land Rover Defender 110. There's six different trim lines in the 2020. There's actually seven in 2021. But this the SE I had was kind of in that middle trim line, which is actually really what I prefer anyway. I like that. I've always kind of bought in that range. So the base price is actually $49.9 for the, the base Defender. The version that I had was $71,000. It had about $9,000 worth of accoutrements on it, mostly related to the extensive off-road that we ended up doing with it. Um, you know, the, the Defender, when you look at it, it's it's pretty square, frankly. Uh, it as does harken as it should be. Uh, it does harken back very much to the design. The front of it, you know, we talked a lot of, about the Bronco really looking so much like the Bronco. The front of the Defender kind of looks like it. it. It sort of echoes it a little bit. Certainly the the silhouette is more representative of traditional Defender, but you could you still know what this thing is when it's on the road. So I I I had so much fun. <laughs> <laughs> I was hard at work. Believe me, it was very hard work. Uh, we took this. So we drove up to picked up in Jersey, drove up to the Land Rover Experience Center um, up in. Manchester, Vermont. So at first when I saw we were going to Vermont, I'm like, you gotta be kidding me. But it's actually just about three hour drive. So we were, it was interesting because we were initially just on the highway with the thing. And then, you know, which which was a good experience because you think of these vehicles as just being off road, but it was actually incredibly well behaved on the highway. Even though it has this appearance of being very high, it has three ride heights that you can adjust manually or, you know with a button so it, i put it in access mode and then that let me get in easily enough and then there's like the normal travel mode and then when you're off-road you can raise it up another few five actually goes i think it's as high as five inches from the access mode so you definitely can tell the difference but on the highway it just it didn't ride tall you know what i mean like mm-hmm. you know there's something
0: does it have air springs
1: Oh, you asked me these engineering <laughs> questions. I don't know.
0: <laughs> okay. I feel mind. like it does. Okay. Go ahead, continue. I'll look it up like, while you talk.
1: Okay. I, I believe it does. I know it has different a variety of differentials. The rear differential is center diff and then the front it doesn't have a front diff. I believe okay, it's got, I it's thinking. got an
0: optional electric uh, air suspension. So yeah.
1: Okay. That's, so mine- that's what,
0: that's what allows you to have the varying ride heights. Oh, okay. So you, can okay. Get, so, so you can get coils or air springs.
1: So mine probably had it and I apologize for the shuffling paper while I grabbed the, I thought I had my Moroni here, um, that they gave me. I don't. Um, so yeah. So once on the road, then it was really quiet and this thing's got, you know, big fat tires on it and stuff. Like it's, it shouldn't have been as good on the highway as it was, but they did a really nice job with it. So we drove it up there about a couple of hours. And and one of the things I noticed, the seats were incredibly comfortable. They have this really nice surrounding bolster kind of feel to them. And I had the 14-way uh, heated and cooled seats. and. I mean, you could get exactly. You could say
0: yeah, fourteen-way heated and cool. So is that like fourteen different settings, or
1: no, fourteen-way?
0: A oh, fourteen-way adjustment, and they're adjustment heated and cooled. Okay. And heated
1: and cooled. Sorry. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> so, fourteen-way and heated and cool. Okay. And so, I so I was able to you know get it exactly how I wanted it to. And the cool thing was that the way that you instead of having extra buttons for like the the climate of your seat they actually you can actually access it through the dial that you set your temperature so you set your hvac temperature and then you press it again and that becomes your heated and cooled settings as well which was really clever like it's a nice use of of a dial. So it's multifunctional dials that, uh, that actually then when you're off-road, they do other things as well. So the inside is very clean and these dials have um, multiple uses, which is really cool to, to take advantage of of the technology that they certainly didn't have the last time this vehicle was, was anywhere around. Yeah.
0: Well, the, the, the last Defender was, you know, designed, you know, in the wake of world war II yeah. and it was, <laughs> basically unchanged for, you know, 60 years until it finally went out of production.
1: Exactly. This is, this is all new. It's better.
0: Yeah. You know, and, and the thing, you know, the thing I like is it's not, it's not in any way a retro design. You know, I mean, in terms of its, the basic profile, it's you know, obviously, you know, very reminiscent of, you know, the classic Defender. But there's, you look at this thing, it's thoroughly modern. There's nothing retro about it.
1: No, no. I mean, it's, it's, it is, it's a very, very modern interpretation, but it's recognizable also. And actually for 2021, and it's kind of, it's funny because we're sort of in this weird time warp because they're like, you can't even build 2020s anymore. And yet that's all that we had available to drive. So on the website, it's all 2021s because that's what ordinarily would be coming out now and but we're just getting a chance to drive it so we're we're like 6 months behind everything. So on the 2021 on the base uh the the 110 defender they actually have an option for steel wheel steel rims like oh, nice. really stripped out, right? Which is awesome. So they kind of they had this almost they didn't mean it, but it almost ended up being a soft launch for the 2020s. And now the 2021s are really going to have some cool stuff. They're coming out with a, a cloth roof and there's talk of doing some really special things with this iconic vehicle. You know, there's, they gave us a, a book about it. That's like almost two inches thick, you know, and it just filled with, with, you know, just the history of this vehicle. So.
0: But can you take the doors off?
1: So. <laughs> You cannot take the doors off, and you can't take the roof off, but that doesn't mean that you won't be able to at some point in time.
0: <laughs> oh, okay. So they've they've seen Wrangler and seen Bronco and decided, okay, maybe we need removable doors.
1: I think at some point we may see this really being able to be as stripped down as you want it to be they they as i said that on the base one they're going to have the steel rims but then they also have this defender x which is has all the same off-road capabilities which we still have to get into but is very luxurious inside so they've the one that i had that se was a nice balance of of a, a leather and cloth interior, you know all the all the features that you could want, and you know, but durable, but more durable. Uh, it had uh, you know more hard plastics than you would normally expect from Range Rover from Land Rover, but that's because it's supposed to be. A, a more athletic, outdoorsy more experience, right, A much more Vietnam. rugged lifestyle, exactly. So, so we got we got up to what they call the Ellery L R E, the Land Rover Experience Center, and and I should clarify, those are open. So there's only three in the U S. There's one in, in in Vermont, there's one in Palm Springs, and then there's one. Um, oh, it just went out of my head as my cat walks in, uh, and these things they anybody can go to them. They have vehicles that you can use there. You don't need to be a Land Rover owner. So if you just want to get better at going off-road, they have the most incredible instructors that were so good. They were positive they were positive and constructive and just, they were absolutely fantastic. So I actually want to try and go at some point on my own, um, because you can learn so much about going off road, you know? I mean, it's just, it's amazing. And so, so that was, that was just a really, really cool experience to have. So there's one, there's, oh, North Carolina, of course.
0: Carmel is the one in California.
1: Yes, there's one in Carmel, one in California, Vermont, and in North Carolina. So for for those who
0: live north of the border, there's also one in Quebec. Oh, Uh, fantastic. Montebello, Quebec.
1: Oh, nice. Perfect. Yeah. And, and again, the idea that you can go and you don't have to be a, a Land Rover owner was really, really cool. And that was, I think that was great information. If you want to learn how to do off-road, if you want to learn, uh, you know, from really, really experienced people. So we had, we have. How would they
0: feel if we turned up with a new Bronco? Oh.
1: <laughs> they would probably be all over it. They would probably crawl all over that thing.
0: <laughs> Say, Give us five hours with it first, you know, and then, then you can go play.
1: Yeah, exactly. No, I think they'd be all over that. So you know, so so this it has, it has, as you mentioned, the the electronic air suspension, um, these adaptive dynamics terrain response hill launch, uh, low traction launch. All these, all the, any kind of off road sophisticated off-road capability that you need that's on the base model like that's how they all come which i think is just amazing and and again the way that you access it is is through these dials and it all comes up on the screen And what was first your infotainment system suddenly becomes your off-road hub. And it's got three different cameras for the outside. So you can see exactly where your vehicle is. You've got different, you can do the selection right there. And then there's auto, which is actually primarily the only thing that we left it in. We did change it one time, we were going up a really steep hill that was, um, I should have asked the grade on it. It was pretty aggressive and we put it in, climbing mode and it climbed up the hill for us which was really fun nice and then you take over and then you we went uh we turned around and we went back down uh the other side of the hill in hill descent control which i will be the first one to admit i have a really hard time giving up control (laughs) but you basically all you have to do is steer you don't touch the brakes you don't touch the accelerator but the reality is that that vehicle is going to drive that hill better than i can (laughs) And so by giving up control, I was actually safer. It was kind of a bummer and it scared me, but, (laughs) (laughs) but it was good. It was a great experience. So we went, you know, there wasn't a lot of water, unfortunately, we've had a pretty dry summer here. So uh, we couldn't do the full on water water fording that the vehicle can do. But, you know, overall, it's just, it's, it's such a fun vehicle to take in that really authentic off-road manner, and then to turn around and have it so well-behaved on-road, I mean, we drove, so we ended up having a COVID issue where we couldn't stay overnight in Vermont, so we had to drive an extra, almost 50 minutes at the end of the day, and then turn around and drive back again, so all told, I think we, I put about 500 miles on that car in the course of two days.
0: Did, Did you then drive back to New York?
1: Afterwards? So then well yes so so I drove from from the headquarters in Jersey up to Manchester Vermont <laughs> over to Saratoga Springs New York back to the Ellery in Vermont then down to this town called Kasaki I think it is to this amazing fabulous semi kind of camping hotel where we each had our own little cabin um, and in upstate New York. And then we had about a two and a half hour drive to the headquarters. But I actually stopped at home which was super fun to bring my media car home <laughs> showed my showed my family got a chance to you know show my mom and my sisters my brother-in-law and my niece and show them how the car goes up and down automatically and that was a lot of fun uh so then and then I drove to Maua, New Jersey, which is about an hour from where I live and then I had to drive back home an hour <laughs> <laughs> so it was a lot of driving. That was from early Thursday morning until Saturday afternoonish. Um but I got to tell you it was incredibly comfortable. For for a vehicle that is so good off-road, for it to be so well behaved on road, that was really really impressive.
0: It was yeah, impressive. Yeah, you know that that's that's an amazing thing, you know, that we've seen over the last 15 or 20 years, or really uh, more in the last 10 years I guess, is you know, as they as, as these things have matured, you know, you're no, you no longer have to sacrifice, you know, having off-road, incredible off-road capability does not mean that you're going to be bouncing around, you know, when you're driving on public, you know, on, on paved roads, you know, it's right. It, 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 you can have a vehicle that can do it all.
1: Right. Exactly. I mean, it was amazing. And, and with just, just the, the, the touch of a button or the turn of a dial, You know, that's what's incredible is that the electronics that are available today are just absolutely phenomenal. And I, you know, I'm probably leaving out so much of of what this vehicle can do, but, you know, we were, we were climbing up rocks. We were, we were going, driving through mud. We didn't have any snow, unfortunately, but it could certainly handle that. Next week, they're having a group of journalists out in that Carmel Valley area in the sand dunes you know it's just it was incredibly capable there was um you know there's some of the vehicles were equipped with a with a winch that you could put on it, which they needed to use in other groups. Fortunately, nobody in our group got into that much trouble, but you know you can just do a lot with these things. I think they each tow seventy five hundred pounds um which is you know enough for a uh you know recreational vehicle or something like that and you know, at the same time, got about, so overall, got about 17 miles per gallon, but that includes all the off-roading. So, I would say on road, I probably was, got in the 20s uh, for highway driving. And by the way, this thing is (laughs) (laughs)
0: Fast. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, so, I'm, I'm going to assume that, you know, the ones you drove were the mild hybrid, not the, the base version.
1: Yes. Yes. Yeah, so I was just getting so, to that. So there's two engine types. There's a 2.0 liter in line four, 300 horsepower, and there's a 3.0 liter in line six, that mild hybrid, 400 horsepower, eight speed automatic. It did have uh, a pretty transparent stop start uh, that was very, very good uh, you know, just immediate power. I mean, it was, you could just, you could get this thing up there should you need to. Uh, it, it was, it was really cool. It it was a really, really nice vehicle. I mean, after, even after all that driving, I didn't want to let it go. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not going to lie. I didn't want to let it go. I could have kept that one.
0: (laughs) I, I can, I can sympathize with that. Um, So uh, what did you drive back from uh, JLR headquarters?
1: So that's my next week's car. Okay. But I am currently driving the Honda Civic Type R with the six speed manual transmission. And it's just, it's it's cartoon on wheels. It's (laughs) so much fun. It's a riot. My only goal this week is to not get a speeding ticket because the (laughs) last time that I had a Honda Civic, I did get pulled over, I didn't get a ticket but I think I probably would this time.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, the the last ticket I got was in a type R uh, on, oh, was the, it really? on, the, on the media drive in Washington state. So. <gasps> oh no. Yeah. But uh, we can discuss that another time. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So
1: yeah. So Land Rover's back and it's, okay. and it's awesome.
0: Any, anything else uh, you want to talk about driving?
1: Oh my gosh. I've, this is like the Rebecca podcast. I,
0: I, can, I can certainly uh, understand why you would want to forget the other one. But, you
1: know. <laughs> so I actually, so the, the third vehicle, the vehicle that I actually drove uh, to meet up with the Land Rover people in New Jersey was a Toyota Avalon Hybrid. And this was a really, really good vehicle. And what, what was probably one of the more remarkable things about this was how many people stopped me to talk about the way that it looks because it's a really sharp-looking vehicle and this is in Greenwich like where everybody sees everything i mean i was i was at the main greenwich post office and somebody came over and said i got to look at this thing what is this and i said it's the toyota avalon he's like are you kidding me <laughs> <laughs> but they've just done a really sharp job with this avalon and um, it's it's a hybrid it's absolutely terrific i mean i just I really, really enjoyed it. It it gets 43 miles per gallon. That's what I got. I, I love the fact that I just kept forgetting that it was a hybrid because it's just that good. Like it just, it's, and you know, I'm always about the idea of if you're gonna give me an alternative powertrain, don't, I don't want it to be weird. And I don't want it to be something that is a compromise on the whole driving experience, and they just did a great job with this. You know, I I drove down to uh, New Jersey with a lot of traffic, and it just it the responsiveness was there when I needed it, and then the you know adaptive cruise control was very good with it. It just overall, it was just it was really good. So so I was I was really really happy with it. I'm glad that they made it in a hybrid, and I'm glad that it's not it's not something that you have to compromise. About yeah, I mean, at all. you know,
0: this is this is the same hybrid setup that is now in a whole bunch of Toyota vehicles, uh, the Rav Four, the Camry, the Highlander, uh, you name it. Yeah, you know, it's the two point five liter. Ironically, five-liter. I don't
1: think it's in the Prius, though, is it?
0: No, well, it, the hybrid <laughs> part, the electric part, is the same. Although I think with a little bit less electric power than what's okay. in here. yeah Yeah. Um, and the Prius has a 1.8 liter engine, so these oh, these all a have 2. a 2.5. It's a 2.5 with yeah. all the all the other applications. Yeah. So
1: it also it had the um, it had the ecvt and and I should have mentioned this about the cross truck also that cvt was one of the best that I had driven. There was absolutely no wine to it. It was really really good. This uh, ecvt is also very very good. It was really minimal wine to it, and it just. I mean, 43 miles per gallon without feeling like you're getting 43 miles per gallon, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like without feeling it's got, like you're compromising. It's got, de- it's got
0: decent performance, you know, yeah. I mean, it's not, it's not an exciting powertrain, you know, it certainly doesn't sound great, you know, no. I mean, you know, it's got the classic Toyota hybrid, you know, engine revs up, you know, you stand on an engine revs up to 3,500, 4,000 RPM and stays there while you accelerate, you know, but aside from that, you know, it's it's fine.
1: It's not a race car, right? No, no and, not and at again, all. I'm i I'm thinking back to my experience this, this is not the
0: Toyota that won Le Mans last weekend.
1: Exactly. <laughs> and I'm thinking back to my experience with the Prius just a couple months ago, where that was just I felt like I was always compromising in that vehicle for the sake of of fuel economy. Mm-hmm. And that's not the feeling that I had with the Toyota Avalon hybrid, is that I felt like that hybrid was a bonus as opposed to something that I had to tolerate. I,
0: I wonder how much of the attention it got in Greenwich was because of this massive grill that it has now.
1: I, I mean, certainly that was part of it. I mean, it's, it's a good looking is, car.
0: I mean, you know, it's a sharp, you know, it's a nice sleek four door sedan, big four door sedan, it uh, is. but it does have a, monstrous grill
1: it does does. and the one I had was like a deep ruby red with all blackout on it so you know it was it was it's a head turner for sure Mm -hmm. and you know which is kind of fun then to have and again a vehicle that has such good fuel economy without having to sacrifice style and design and and and, and really, you know, on many levels performance. You know, inside, the interior is really well laid out. I hate that N-tune system. We've gone over that before. Um, I was able to use Android Auto, though, so that was fine. And, you know, just overall, I think it was just a really good experience. If you need, if you, if you want a sedan with a good amount of room to it, and you want good fuel economy, 43 miles per gallon, I think this is a really good choice. So the, the one that I drove came in at just over 42,000 uh, and it actually retails for, I mean, the base is about 39 and change for it. So you know, a lot of safety features on it and um, and just I was just, I was really pleased with it. I think it was a really good vehicle. I enjoyed it. I had a cool. good week.
0: All yeah. right. So I had a couple of cars that were quite different. Um, first up, Cadillac CT4-V, and I I still keep wanting to say ATS-V uh, every time yes. I think about it because you know it actually still it looks a lot like the ATS did. You know this is this is the replacement in the lineup for the ATS. Um, you know the front has you know, re, you know per, changed quite a bit, but the you know the rest of the shape of the car it doesn't have that that fastback shape that the CT5 does. You know it it retained you know closer to a classic sedan shape that the, the old ATS had. Um, and, you know, as we talked about previously, you know, earlier this year, I think, you know, when they first announced the uh, CT5V and the uh, CT4V, you know, the V models now are not what the previous generation Vs were. Those are coming up still with the Blackwing editions. Uh... V now is, you know, more like what, uh, you know, with BMW, what an M Sport is okay okay so you you kind of get the look some of the look of mm. of what was a v uh but you don't get all of the performance
1: all the personality
0: yeah and Got especially it. the personality okay. um so let me start with the base ct4 i like it you know i like the size of the car for for me you know a, a compact sedan um you know is a good size you know that you know this is comparable to a 3 series or you know an Audi A4 um you know so i i, I personally like the size better than i like the size of a CT5 right um granted I that. you know the back seat is uh tighter You know, you're not going to have as much leg room in the back of this one as you do in the CT5. The CT5. You have a
1: core. You have a She doesn't need a lot of leg room. That's true.
0: (laughs) That that is very true. Um, You know, the CT5. You know, has a much much more ample back seat. uh, You know, for carrying adults. The CT4. You know, is more. You know, kids and occasional. You know, for for adults for shorter trips. You know, not not that it's tiny, but it's definitely tighter than the CT5. You know, a lot of the rest of the interior, very similar, you know, to other contemporary Cadillacs like the XT6 and the, and the CT5, same basic infotainment system. You got the, the center dial as well. Um, you know, same, same steering wheel, same issues that we talked about before with the XT6 and the CT5 with the, the volume and and forward and back buttons on the right-hand spoke of the (laughs) steering wheel being in the opposite positions of where they probably should be. Um, yeah. You know, what distinguishes the CT4V from other CT4s? You know, other CT4s have the two liter turbo that you find in a lot of GM vehicles, it's a fine engine. The CT5 uh, or CT4V, uh, <sighs> it's just naming, it's just it drives me up the <laughs> wall. The CT4V has the same 2.7 liter turbo four cylinder that debuted last year in the Silverado. Um, oh. So this one has 325 horsepower, uh, 380 foot-pounds of torque, uh, and it's made it up with GM's 10-speed automatic, Um, you know, surprisingly for, you know, what is a pretty large displacement four-cylinder. 2.7 is a pretty big four-banger. Yeah. Yeah. it's very smooth, you know, you know. No issues at all with vibration. This was not a shaker four. You know, this is this is not like the old days. You know, for for those of us of a, of a certain age who may have driven uh, the classic uh, GM Quad Four back in the late <laughs> 80s or early 90s, you know, that was an engine that liked to vibrate, uh, especially the first generation before they added balance shafts to it. And that one was only 2.3, sol- 2.3 liters. Mm-hmm. This is a 2.7, so it's a it's a big engine. Those are some big pistons moving around in that thing. Uh, but it doesn't it doesn't vibrate. It's very smooth. No issue at all there. It does have um, a bit of a growl to it, um, you know. Like which a is, good growl. Mm, no. It's not a bad growl, but you know the feeling I got driving this thing, you know, and especially you know for something that you know from what I've become accustomed to over the last decade and a half with V Series Cadillacs. Uh, you know especially going back to the CTSV you know the a couple of generations ago when they first put the the LSA supercharged v8 in there but even the, even the ATSV with that twin turbo v6 that was in there you know 400, 440 horsepower yeah you know, those cars were you know they were exciting to drive <laughs> they were a lot of fun to drive this one it's fine oh my <laughs> gosh you know it That is definitely not what they were going for. It, you know, it, it did not, it didn't excite me. You know, I don't know what it was. It just didn't excite me. Um, you know, was it, was it a handling thing or was it
1: just, no, the handling was,
0: the handling was good. You know, the ride quality was good. You know, it was responsive. It was quick enough, but there was just something about it that felt blah. (laughs) You know, it, wow. And, uh, you, know, that sucks. you know, That's a bummer, you know, I think I would have rather had a regular CT4 where I didn't have those expectations that come with that V badge. Right. Because I think I, I think I actually would have been happier with that one. You know, this one, you know, it's very quiet. Um, you know, it didn't have, you know, some of the NVH issues that I've complained about on some other recent Cadillacs, um, you know, and like I said the, the suspension? engine was, was it stiff. No, the suspension was good. You know, it was a nice, nice balance of, you know, good control, uh, but enough compliance, you know, over rough pavement that it, you know, it was not annoying to drive. Right. Um, it was, it was just really, really okay.
1: <laughs> That's like coming home it was a, exceptionally a first okay. Date and saying, oh gosh, mom. I don't know. He was, he was really nice. <laughs>
0: yeah. You know, I like the way it looks, you know, I like the way it feels around me. You know, I like the size of it um, and the packaging, but I think, you know, if, if I'm going to get something with a V badge on it, I just want something that little bit extra, that visceral, yeah. there's well, nothing it, visceral about this car.
1: Right. It needs to have some kind of an emotional yeah. response that like makes that, that, that elicits some kind of emotional response from you.
0: And this, this one just didn't. God. It, yeah. It was, it's a, no, it's bummer. interesting
1: because we we've, we've all driven those kinds of cars where we're like we're supposed to love this thing, you know, or at least it's like it's built for performance or it's built for something, and it's always disappointing when the car does not slot in there. Do you think that they're saving some for that Black Wing? Oh, I'm sure
0: saying? they are. You know, I, right? I believe the Black Wing is probably going to have that twin turbo V6 again. Um, you know, and that should be coming sometime early 2021, I think. But as you say,
1: but this engine, I mean, good grief, it needs premium gasoline. Like it should be good.
0: <laughs> yeah, well no, I mean it's got it's got, you know, decent performance, you know, three hundred and twenty five horsepower, three hundred and eighty foot pounds yeah, of torque. But that does it but it does... responds, but it just does it in a way that it it doesn't elicit a visceral I mean it just it's so smooth. That, Wait, that's part you know, of the problem though, to right? It. Yeah, exactly. That's the
1: thing, is that is that you wanna have some kind of an emotional attachment to this. Like I don't mind if the suspension is a little bit tight. You know, mm-hmm. like 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 with the, the crazy type R that I'm gonna talk about next week. You know, when when I pick that thing up, I you know as I said I had just driven over 500 miles I was exhausted and the last thing I really wanted to do was drive in a you know a, a manual transmission super you know high strung vehicle but you know after a little while I threw it into comfort and it was totally fine and it was actually really and and that's the last time we've been in comfort <laughs> but <Yeah. laughs> but you want to have that you know, it was so fun to rev that engine up. It's so fun to drive it and to zip around in it. And that's what, even though this is a stately and this- lovely rear-wheel drive sedan, it still needs to have that that response. You still want to have some kind of an emotional response to it.
0: Yeah, you know, and, you know, I think in a way, stately almost is you know, the the thing to say about that powertrain. You know, like I said, it's got a little bit of a growl to it, but not in a way that really excites you. It doesn't it's not annoying, but it's not exciting. Well Uh, yeah, and and, I'd rather have it a little almost
1: annoying, right? Because at least annoying elicits a response.
0: (laughs) Yeah. No, and, and this one just it it just didn't do anything for me for some reason. I don't know why. Um, which is which is really a shame but you know the the ct4v starts at 44 495 um, the total price on the one I had uh, was 52,000 including a 995 delivery charge uh, you know it had the the full suite of um, uh, driver assist stuff adaptive cruise blind spot um, you know uh, it had uh, really nice uh, interior you um, the uh, sangria leather with uh, jet black accents um, and uh, what else uh, heated and cooled seats uh, massaging passenger seat uh, front nice. front pass front massaging front seats uh, nice. although they, they don't have all the modes that 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 this week's car has but you know, we'll get to that next time um, and uh, you know heated wheel heads-up display you know so you know lot, uh, had all the all the good stuff on it right um, and you know I think I think though, you know, I would, I would either take the the standard CT4 with the two liter or, you know, wait for the black wing, you know, cause this one is just kind of a, a miss.
1: Well, and there's a big gap between the sport and the V series. I mean, it's, it's almost 40,000 to $45,000. Yeah. So, you know, you're definitely paying for it. And it looks like on the premium one, you can get the two point seven liter engine also for forty thousand. Oh, so is that the, an option on there? Yeah, on the premium. Oh, okay. So you can actually get that same engine without the premium.
0: Hmm, Okay. Uh, the I price mean, premium, I, I should say. Yeah, I I probably wouldn't wouldn't recommend it. I I think you know the two liter is a really good engine. I I would probably stick with that. It's probably yeah, not worth the fascinating the extra for for the two seven, but. So anyway, that's that's the CT four yeah. V series, um, and then the from that you know I swapped that for a Hyundai Ioniq hybrid, uh, limited.
1: Very interesting.
0: Yeah, um, so the you know the Ioniq's been with us for a few years. Uh, got a refresh this year, uh, new front fascia, upgraded interior. Um, you know, especially you know bigger, bigger central touchscreen and you know redesigned. Uh, screen, you know, area around the screen, you know, feels a little more premium than before. Uh, still not, you know, hugely premium, but you know, it's nice. Um, and you know, the Ionic, you know, shares its platform with the Kia Nero, uh, and you know, it's a platform that was designed to be electrified uh, across the board. So all the all the variants of the Ionic and the Nero uh, are electrified. The you know base setup is hybrid. Uh, you know, and the ionic hybrid you know, is really you know, a direct competitor to uh, the Prius. You but know, you didn't have the plug-in version. Uh, not this time. I have had okay. the plug-in before, okay. uh, which has 27 miles of electric range. So that's a plug-in hybrid. And there's also a battery electric, right. which, as part of the upgrades this year, got a little bigger battery. and Is now up to 170 miles of range. Oh wow! Okay. Uh, you know, and that's you know that's a a battery electric. You know that starts at thirty thousand dollars before the Tax breaks, so right. you know you can you can get that down in the low twenty thousand dollar you know twenty three twenty three twenty four thousand dollar range uh, as a full battery electric, which is a really good option, and one hundred and seventy miles is enough for most you know the vast majority of people for their 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 driving
1: yeah no but, that'll definitely cover any number of days yeah. so am I thinking of the wrong one that there was a limited availability?
0: The the ins the, the plug-in hybrid and the battery electric are only available in ZEV states, so California okay. and the other states that, that require zero-emission vehicles. Okay, um, but the so – the, the hybrid is available nationally.
1: Okay, all right. I've only seen a couple on the road, though. They're just not very popular. Yeah,
0: the Ionic has not the, sold it, as – is it, an it ha-
1: availability issue?
0: No, I think it's okay. it just hasn't been as popular as the uh, the Nero. Like okay. The Nero sells about two and a half to three times the volume of the Ionic. You know, mechanically it's the same vehicle, same wheelbase, yeah. all the same components. But the I you know the the Nero you know is sort of a tallish hatch crossovery kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, whereas this you know is very clearly a five door hat you know sleek. You know, fastback, hatchback, you know, very much in the Prius mold, but without the weird. Um, <laughs> and uh, so, you know, it's, you know, it's, an it, I think it's an attractive car, but it's, it's a body style and a form factor that the market has just gone away from in the last five years. Yeah. Um, so... You know, and I think that's probably why Hyundai has decided to move the Ionic name to its new line of battery electric vehicles, you know, in a couple of years time. So that's going to be their their battery electric sub brand. Um, and, you know, this one's this one's going to go away. But, you know, in the meantime, you know, if you're looking for something that is, you know, roomy um, and reasonably fun to drive, you know, it actually handles quite well, surprisingly well um, and, you know, nicely equipped and. Um, and really, really fuel efficient. Like this thing is EPA rated at fifty-five miles per gallon. Wow! Um, I got you know, and that, that's combined. So 55, 55 city, fifty-four highway, fifty-five combined. Um, I I averaged about forty-nine Okay. It, um, which is more than acceptable. Right, uh, but you
1: weren't hypermiling or anything. No, I right? was, I was like, not hypermiling.
0: Yeah. I was just driving it driving it normally yeah. the way I drive anything else, um, and. You know, it's got a lot of equipment. You know, a lot of driver assist stuff is standard equipment on the Ionic, as it is on most new Hyundai's now. Uh, it's got right. a ten and a quarter inch uh, uh, center touchscreen with built-in nav, wireless charging. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, for that—that's for the the thirty. Uh, did I say the price? Thirty-two thousand three hundred ten. This is the limited. So this this is loaded. This has all the available options there's there's no there's no options available on the limited everything is standard equipment you know you get three years of hyundai blue link um you know harman kardon premium audio um you know the the powertrain it's a 1.6 liter four-cylinder uh mated with the hyundai hybrid system which you know is using their uh their six-speed dual clutch transmission and the uh, motor in between the engine and the transmission um I mean, it looks great. It, yeah, it's a good-looking it, it, car. It it does sort
1: of look a little bit like the Prius. It's, it's not as weird, as you say. Uh, it's it's got you, a
0: similar profile to the Prius.
1: Right, it does. From the side, it looks a little bit more Prius-like. Um, I, I will definitely want to drive this because it seems very, very competitive to the Prius. But it mm-hmm. seems like you had a better experience th- where I felt like the Prius was just a constant compromise. That right. doesn't sound like your experience. No, this
0: one, this, there's no, no real compromise in this. You know, the, the powertrain, you know, is, you know, very seamless, um, you know, and because, you know, it's Hyundai's hybrid system, rather than using a CVT, they use a conventional mm. uh, step gear transmission, you know, in this case, a DCT, but in some of the other hybrids, they use a, a conventional, uh, now an eight speed automatic or seven speed in the, uh, in the Sonata hybrid. Um, but yeah, yeah, it's, it, it feels much more natural Yeah. Um, And and very seamless. Um, You know, you've got Android Auto and CarPlay. The Hyundai infotainment system. I mean, we've talked about it before. It's, you know, it's a nice, it's a very easy to use system. It's a nice interface. Uh, And one thing that Hyundai always does really well is the displays they use for their touchscreens, you know, always really good, you know, very high contrast, bright, um, you know, no glare. Uh, you know, and you can see them with polarized sunglasses. Yeah. Uh, unlike a lot of the Toyota and uh, Nissan displays.
1: It, it, it's a really, I mean, it's the interior. I'm looking at a picture of the interior now and it looks really nice. Yeah. And yeah, no, that's, and the fuel economy, that's insane.
0: Yeah, it's, it's pretty impressive. So
1: yeah, no, definitely. I would love to try one. Of so if, this. You're, if
0: you're looking for something very reasonably priced, like I said, starting at about 20, a little over $23,000. Um, for the the base, you know, the ionic blue, um, you know, and yeah, twenty three thousand two hundred is the the base price, uh, you know, and even that's got you know a lot of features on it, uh, and then you know, fully loaded, thirty two grand.
1: Yeah, oh, that's awesome. And yeah. then, does it qualify for any tax credits?
0: Uh, not the hybrid. The okay. plug in hybrid and the battery electric version do.
1: Okay, but, and but, of but, course, uh, state check with your state because they're not
0: yeah, also so qualifying. You, yeah, so it it qualifies for the federal seventy five hundred dollar tax credit on the the plug in versions, or for the battery electric. Um, the plug in hybrid, I think, is thirty five hundred. Thirty five hundred. About thirty five hundred. Yeah. Um, and then the, uh, uh, you know, California and and New Jersey and a few other states have their own incentives as well. Right. Cool. So, so definitely, definitely something worth taking a look at.
1: Yeah, that's awesome.
0: Yeah. All right. So, in the news this week, um, let's see, where shall we start? Um, Let's start with uh, selling EVs in Michigan. Yes. (laughs) Before we talk about a new (laughs) EV. So, you know, and there's about uh, 23, 24 states, I think, where um, Tesla cannot sell vehicles directly to consumers, because Tesla does not use franchise dealers. Um, So, you know, we've got this system here in in the US, and a number of other countries have similar systems, where manufacturers don't sell direct vehicles directly to consumers, they sell them to franchise dealers, which are independent businesses, those dealers then sell on to consumers, uh, and they provide service and maintenance and everything. Um, Tesla, you know, when they started, they opted to have company-owned stores, and not have any franchise dealers. The problem is franchise dealers have been around since the early 20th century, and, um, you know, the owners of dealers, you know, got, you know, fairly affluent, and they were able to buy a lot of influence with uh, state uh, politicians, which got them laws in place to, um, that prevent manufacturers from competing with them which, you know, at the time those laws were passed, they made a lot of sense because, you know, the dealers had made a significant investment in, in their dealerships and in equipment and tools spare parts and everything. And they didn't want to have to p- compete directly with the manufacturers who could potentially undercut them on price. Um, so places like Michigan don't allow direct sales by manufacturers to consumers. Uh, some states, like California, um, have franchise laws, but for a new manufacturer coming in that doesn't have any dealers, they can bypass that and go and do direct sales, um, as long as they don't have any existing dealers that they're competing with. So up until January of this year, if you wanted, if you were lived in Michigan and you wanted to buy a Tesla, you had to go buy one in Illinois or Indiana or Ohio, um, and. Uh, Tesla had been suing the state of Michigan for a number of years, uh, you know, trying to get that law changed. Uh, they finally settled with the state back in January, and they came to a compromise, and the state said, okay, you can um, sell directly to consumers You're selling, because Tesla is mostly selling online now. You can sell the vehicles to consumers, but the cars have to be titled in another state first, and when you do the the transfer to the to the consumer, it has to be titled somewhere else, and then the the consumer can bring it back into the state and retitle it in Michigan. So you'd have to you know you'd get the car from Ohio or Chicago or somewhere, um, you know, and bring it back and take it to the secretary of state's office and and get a new title for transfer the title to Michigan and get Michigan license plates on it. Um, the state legislature now has a bill uh, that they're working on that would close that loophole so that no other EV manufacturer or no other new new entrant can do the same thing. Um, and um, for some reason, you know, I mean, it's targeting companies like Rivian, which, you know, has a tech center here in Michigan and employs, you know, some 750 people here. But you, if this bill passes, you won't be able to buy a rivian in michigan uh you know unless they decide to get some dealers what do you think
1: well first of all those dealers can't even be owned by rivian so it's not like rivian can set up shop like it's not like just it's it's not even saying to rivian you have to have a dealership it's that you have to have a franchise yes dealership right which is not always ideal and and really means that the manufacturer is at the mercy of this franchisee to represent their product correctly, mm-hmm. which is a big challenge because, you know, how many times has somebody gone into a dealership, had a bad experience and said, I'm never buying X brand again. Meanwhile, that experience was, was, may have just been local to that specific dealership the brand itself is still fantastic but the those dealers represent they are they are the face of the brand and it's really frustrating for manufacturers if they're having issues with their dealers because then consumers have issues with the brand but they don't have issues with the brand they have issues with that dealer right. so you know but it, but as a general consumer isn't going to But the to dealer is the face of difference. the brand exactly right so you've got to get that dealer you know, on on point with what you want to say about your brand and what's happened now the idea that they're closing that loophole that Tesla's still going to be able to operate without having dealers but Rivian and Lucid and others that come in are not, they're gonna to have to set up dealers. That's just adding an incredible expense already to an already you know, incredibly capital intensive environment like building a vehicle and, and building EVs in particular. So I think it's unfortunate um, that the precedent that was set with Tesla isn't allowed to carry out its legal course because I think it's putting, it keeps Tesla with a very unfair advantage. And so the playing field is not at all level. And when it comes to the dealers and so, you know, to have Tesla have this totally separate ruling that nobody else can take advantage of just doesn't seem really very fair.
0: No, I, I agree. You know, I, I think, it would be better if we did something like what they have in California, where, you know, if, a if an, if a manufacturer has an existing deal, franchise dealer network, fine, don't let them compete directly right. with them. Uh, but if they're coming in clean and you know, they don't have any legacy dealers, let them set up their own shops, Yeah. You know? Yes. And you know, the, the thing about, you know, the, the this question of company owned stores versus dealers, you know, there's, pluses and minuses on both sides. Neither one is a perfect solution. Uh, you know, the reason they, that manufacturers got franchise dealers in the first place in the you know, early years of the industry uh, is because, you know, once a manufacturer builds a vehicle and they ship it to the dealer, the dealer owns that car now. Right. The manufacturer is no longer sitting on that inventory. As soon as they ship it to the dealer, they get paid for it.
1: It's considered sold.
0: Yes, it's <laughs> for the manufacturer. It's considered sold, so they're right. they're you know they've they got the, they get that revenue right away, and so you know that it's good for the manufacturers for cash flow, you know for dealers, you know they get a markup on that vehicle, you know, and they get to benefit from other things like you know selling service and accessories and things like that, um, you know, and they you know they have relationships with. The, the manufacturers through their financing arms to get you know financing for those those vehicles and things like that, um, and you know you it they make the investment in the real estate you know the the building the the equipment the spare parts they being the dealer
1: the franchise right, the de- yes
0: you yeah know, and that's you know that's many millions of dollars absolutely. to do that it's a significant investment right. to do that um, and that you know the the manufacturer is offloading that that requirement onto another business to do that. So there's there's a benefit to the manufacturer that way. Yes, they're getting less of the revenue. You know, they're, they're taking a hit, you know, because they're selling it for a wholesale price and the dealer, you know, has a markup on that. But they also don't, aren't incurring that cost associated with actually selling the vehicle to a consumer.
1: Right. They, I do think that sometimes they will aid, you know, there, there may be some financial aid that they'll give to dealers. Oh yeah. You know, absolutely. and again, it's a little bit different when you're starting from scratch.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Right. Asking a dealer to do a, you know, a five million dollar renovation on a dealership or even a network of dealers, you know, is can can be very, very cost prohibitive. And oftentimes that manufacturer then will have to bear the some of the, the cost. To you know, to get their dealers looking all the same, or to get them up to the same standard, or such.
0: Yeah, and you know, for example, um, Cadillac announced last week that all of their dealers, their 600 odd dealers, are going to be required to spend $200,000 over the next two years to upgrade to support Cadillac's upcoming electric vehicles, starting with the Lyric. You know, and that includes you know parts inventory, you know, tools, uh, training, and also installing a DC fast charger on site. Um, you know, so that's, you know, that's money that those those dealers, those independent businesses are going to have to spend uh, in order to sell Cadillacs electric vehicles. You know, the re- part of the reason why Tesla decided to do their own retail network is, you know, one of the challenges for Automakers is getting their dealers to actually try to sell EVs, <laughs> yes.
1: because you know oh. there's
0: this risk of having lower, lower service revenue because that's where a lot of their profit comes from is on Absolutely. the back end on service and accessories and things like that, not so much from the new new vehicle sales. Um, so, you know, they the traditional manufacturers have often had a hard time getting their dealers to actually the customers to go and buy a plug-in vehicle instead of a gas fuel vehicle Well, and
1: it takes longer to sell mm-hmm. an electric vehicle to a customer yeah yeah in the show within the showroom and so
0: because yeah, you've got to you know explain you know teach them all about you know how it works and everything so it, it's been a challenge and you know tesla decided to bypass that with their company-owned stores you know, but that also means that now, you know, for every one of their stores, they've had to invest several million dollars. You know, for a storefront. You know, and you know, paying the staff and setting up breaking leases and breaking leases and you know service service departments. You know, and that's been a huge drain on Tesla. Yeah. You know, that's that's been one of their challenges. You know, in reaching profitability. So, you know, it it's it's not you know it's having company owned stores is not an easy solution, but if a company wants to go down that path, I think that, you know, they should have the right to do that. If they don't have any franchise dealers that they're already competing with.
1: Exactly. Right. I agree. I think that they should have the option. Uh, if they want to do franchisees, that's fine. If they don't though, to have that option, I think to have that choice, I think is really is important. I agree with you.
0: So, Speaking of electric vehicles, um, as we record this uh, Tuesday night, uh, tomorrow Volkswagen will be unveiling a new electric vehicle. We got a a look at it today and a backgrounder. Uh, It's the new ID4, which is VW's first purpose-built EV that's coming to the US market. Um, And it's also launching in in Europe and other markets uh, this fall as well. So uh, Rebecca, what did you think of the ID4?
1: So, I think that this is a really nice looking vehicle. It's sort of like, it's, it's, a, it's, it's actually very similar to, I think in size, to the Crosstrek, right? I think it's a uh, compact. Yeah, I'm not sure
0: about the, it, it's a compact crossover. It's, it's actually exactly the same length, 180.5 inches as a Ford Escape, and about half an inch shorter than a RAV4.
1: Okay, so maybe it's a little bit bigger than the Crosstrek, maybe it's more like the Outback.
0: Uh, yeah. Yeah. I think, okay. I think the outback is closer. But
1: you know what? I just, I think it's, um, it, it's. So from the look standpoint, I like it. It it looks normal. It doesn't scream. I'm an EV. Uh, price point $40,000 I think is really, really good. That is before the $7,500 uh, tel- federal tax credit that it does qualify for. I was a little disappointed in the range of 250 miles because I feel like 300 miles is sort of the, is the preferred number and- It's know, getting s-
0: to be the preferred number, yeah. I mean, right. you know, there's, and, well, there's a bunch of other competitors in that price range, like the the Chevy Bolt, the Hyundai Kona EV, yeah. the Nissan but Leaf by, Plus. Preferred by
1: consumers. Yes. <laughs> preferred by consumers to see that a three in front of that number. And you're absolutely right. Most most of the competitors Although, are you know, right the,
0: the in that. Te- the Tesla Model 3 uh, standard range plus is 260 miles. So, you know, it's not much more.
1: Yeah, but Tesla's always given a minute pass by consumers. That's we're, true. Like, we're talking about mainstream, you know, getting yeah. people to look at these things. But So that was the only thing that I was a little bit disappointed about. I, th- I was surprised that it wouldn't have a 3 in front of there. Um, I love the fact that there's an all-wheel drive version available obviously living on you know in the east coast northeast in the northeast we get snow and so you know i i think that there's an opportunity here to really draw new people into the ev space uh it's you know i i like again i like the way that it looks i think it, it's got a lot of good features to it i think it's got a really good you know sophisticated uh battery pack to it and and that range and so you know, I think overall, I w- I'm impressed with it. I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing it. What were your thoughts on it?
0: Yeah, you know, I mean, this um, this is built on Volkswagen's new MEB platform. So this is their new electric vehicle architecture that uh, they already launched uh, the ID3 uh, in Europe, uh, it went on, started deliveries to customers a few weeks ago. Um, and, you know, the ID3 is a Roughly golf-sized hatchback, um, and you know the four is it you know compact crossover. Um, there's going to be, I think, roughly 75 different nameplates uh, derived from MEB over the next five years for VW's nine nine different car brands. Um, oh, globally. Yes, globally. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, there's also going to be the Audi Q4 e-tron coming next yes. year, which is also on this. Uh, the ID Buzz. Uh, the, 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 the micro uh, yeah, that's coming in 2022 <laughs> also off this platform. Um, so, you know, one of the things that's interesting about this, uh, MEB, the, the default configuration is rear wheel drive, the electric motors at the rear axle. Yeah. Um, so, you know, one of the things about the, the ID4 and the ID3 as well, there's no frunk, no front trunk. Um, because what they did was they compressed that space in the front, uh, you know, expanded out the passenger (laughs) volume, uh, shortened the front overhang. And, you know, so the front, uh, area, you know, is taken up just by like the climate control hardware and on the all wheel drive versions, the motor will be down there as well. Uh, the second motor, but, uh, you know, the base, the, so they start sales, they Mm -hmm. hope to ship. Uh, some of the, f- a few first edition models before the end of the year, uh, but then, you know, really go on sale in the first quarter of next year. Um, so the, the base rear wheel drive version, 201 horsepower, that 250 miles range, um, you know, which is not great, but, you know, better than what they got out of the Audi e-tron. Well, right. And
1: and 250 miles is is completely oh, fabulous yeah. for most... For, for what people actually need to do with yeah. it it's just psychologically you know that those mainstream people yep may not and, appreciate that
0: <laughs> and the, the all-wheel drive version is going to be 302 horsepower
1: yeah um, the,
0: the the design language that they've developed for their EVs you know the the ID3 this is you know very similar kind of look you know uh, they're you know one of the things they've mentioned you know is you know this transition from chrome to lighting on the front mm. uh, you know, so you've got the signature lighting, you know, around the headlamps and across the front and, you know, on some models, a backlit version of the BMW, are they the BMW, the, the Volkswagen grill. Uh, you know, I think it's then,
1: a really nice looking vehicle.
0: Yeah, no, I, I do. I, I like it a lot. It's got a, you know, kind of a nice muscular athletic look to yeah. it. A nice, nice stance to it. Uh, and I like, you know, the contrasting roof, you know, which is something we've talked it's about awesome. before. Yes. Um, you know, and then, Uh, you know, that base price of $40,000, um, there's two option packages available. Uh, if you load it up, you know, that gets you to $46,000. Um, and, uh, actually the best value, if, if you're interested in one of these, the best Mm -hmm. thing to do is actually get the first edition, um, because the first edition, they didn't say how many there's going to be, you know, maybe a few thousand of these. Okay. But if you get the first edition, it actually, the two packages are the statement package and the gradient package. Don't, I have no idea why they named them the way they did, but that's what they are. The first edition actually includes everything that's in those two packages, except for the, the light up VW logo on the badge on the hood, on the front. So you get everything else that's in those two packages that normally cost $46,000 for $44,000. Okay. So if you act now, you yes. can save $2,000. <laughs> but wait,
1: there's more. No,
0: uh,
1: Well, and there uh, is more there. You get a $7,500 tax Yeah, credit. you get the $7,500. If you're in California, you can
0: get another two grand, a couple of grand if you're in New Jersey. Um, so yeah, it's you know it's really good. Oh, and the other thing. Uh, They're including three years of unlimited uh, DC fast charging at Electrify America stations. Yes. Um, So, you know, if you don't have a charger at home, you can go to an EA station, you know, for the first three years and and charge to your heart's content, uh, fast charge. And, you know, charge from 5% to 80% take about 35, 38 minutes.
1: And I think they showed they were showing the lease price. I think it was, was it 349? Uh,
0: 379. 379.
1: And then they talked about the fact that what you're saving in gas, it basically will be $50 a month. You know, if you subtract how much you're saving in gas, they don't go into what the cost is for the electricity, but it was a clever way, you know. They they estimate that
0: the the gas savings compared to a Tiguan, which is their other compact utility, uh, is gonna be about $3,500 a year. uh, no, over five years. Over five years. So okay. seven seven hundred fifty dollars a year in in fuel savings, okay. um, and uh, you know, so thirty five hundred bucks. Uh, you know, if if you use Tesla math, um, <laughs> and you take take that off, you know, off the purchase price, you know, now you're down to twenty nine thousand dollars. You know, starting price. Um, a really good deal. Yeah, you know, and so yeah, it, it's you know, it's not it's not cheap. You know, it's certainly not you know in as inexpensive as you know something like the, the base Ionic or you know the the Crosstrek, but you know it's also you know it's getting into the heart of that market. You know the average transaction price on those competitive compact crossovers like the CRV and Rav4 and Escape, uh, you know, is in that low thirty thousand dollar range anyway. That's their average selling price for those. Um, so you're gonna you're gonna end up paying roughly the same, and you're not gonna have any gas. And and for the first three years, you may not even have to pay for electricity for it.
1: Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. I just, I love the fact that, first of all, it's real.
0: Yes. <laughs> that
1: it's, like, it's not just a concept, but it just, it looks like the kind of car that you would wanna drive. It kind of almost reminds me of like a Mazda CX-5, mm-hmm. or you know, that kind of, that like, it's a car that you would, that looks practical, but stylish, um, very urban, very modern, and and yet it happens to be electric. As opposed to trying to force people into something weird, this looks like the, a car that just happens to be electric. You know, yeah. and is and, and is good. And, so you know,
0: I think you know the interior is definitely much more modern. Uh, that's this is an area where it's diverged from traditional VWs Nice. You know, the instrument cluster it's a digital instrument cluster it's a 5.3 inch display that's right in front of you uh, you know it has speed and, and things like that some of your mode information uh, you know on this on the right hand side of that is a, a, a toggle or a, a, ro- a switch to rotate to shift uh, from park to reverse and drive and neutral uh, and then there's a Standard uh, central display is a uh, 10.2-inch display, and then uh, optional is a uh, 12-inch touchscreen display. Um, All of the other controls um, on the steering wheel and on the dashboard are all touch controls, which I'm not crazy about, (laughs) Um, you know, but it – it's going to be interesting, one, one thing that's interesting, it has gesture controls for the touch screen, so you don't actually right. have to touch the yes. screen. So you, you don't can, have to. You can swipe through the menus just by gesturing with your hand. Uh, we'll see how well that works. Um, you know, I think you still may have to actually touch it to activate the stuff on those menus, but you can swipe through, but you can also do a lot of stuff or they say you'll be able to do a lot of stuff with the voice controls, which, um, you know, much like, uh, a lot of, you know, the other digital voice assistants around you, you can trigger that with, Hey ID, Um uh, right. and then it, you know, you can control, you know, climate control and audio and other things well, uh, from that.
1: And one of the things that they talked about was... It doesn't have a stop start button.
0: Yes, uh, when you get in, um, it's uh, you know it, it just you know you put it in drive and it goes, which is this is actually the same as Tesla. Tesla doesn't have a stop start button either. You just put it in in part and driver reverse and you go.
1: Oh, okay. I didn't. But you I have to have the key, you have
0: to have the key fob on you. Okay. Um, during the call today, I asked a question. It, I'm not sure Yeah, and sure I had that, to drop off. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure if they actually knew the answer to the question I was asking. But okay. one, the the question I was asking was about ultra wideband, uh, which is a new wireless technology which uh, debuted um, last fall on the new Golf that's available in Europe, which is okay. not being sold here, um, and it's also on the ID3. They both have ultra wideband. Technology for the key fob, which is different from the traditional RF technology. Uh, So, the way it works, it's much more secure and much much faster to respond. So, when you walk up to the car, you can have the key fob in your pocket. Um, and as you approach the car, you know, it'll be able to unlock for you and you can get in. So, you know, like, like a lot of others, but um, the way it works, I'm not going to go into all those details. I'll <laughs> include a, a link to an article I wrote uh, about that. And there's a good video with um, uh, Lars Rieger, who's the CTO of NXP, who makes that uh, ultra wideband chip. Um, one of the cool things about that, if you have an iPhone, a recent iPhone, like a, an iPhone 11, Uh, and presumably other upcoming iPhones, Um, there's a chip in there that they call the U1 chip, which is an ultra-wideband chip. The new version of iOS, and presumably uh, in the not-too-distant future, Android and and some Android phones will also have ultra-wideband, allows you uh, the iOS 14 has support for a new standard called digital key so you can actually use the ultra wideband chip that's in your phone once you pair your phone to the car you can use that as your key uh, cool. you don't have to take your phone out you don't have to unlock it it's you know it's using a very secure communication system and so you get it you know you unlock you know the car um sit it and get inside put it in drive and go you know very uh you know very quick very responsive uh, so I'll I'll link to that article in the uh, in the show notes for this episode.
1: Cool. And then the other thing that they commented on was the wireless experience, where they're yes. really trying to make the vehicle a fully wireless experience, yep. including being able to use your phone with my understanding with Android and, and Apple CarPlay
0: yep. wirelessly. Uh, wi- wire, wireless Android Auto and yeah. CarPlay, uh, and then you know there's a standard uh, Qi charging pad, wireless charging pad. Uh, under the dash so you can just put your phone down there don't have to plug it in don't have to touch anything um, you know should be very easy um, and uh, you know should and, and you also get five years of um, connected services uh, with the car as well so cool. the first five years are complimentary.
1: Now I'm really excited for this I'll be I'll be yeah, very very interested to see what uh, consumer response is on it. Well. Yeah,
0: the, the ID three has been getting pretty positive reviews in Europe yeah. uh, since they since they started driving it a few weeks ago. Uh, so I'm, I'm looking forward to trying this one out for sure. All right. Let's uh, let's hit a couple of uh, listener emails and, okay. and call it a night. Okay. Um, so first one is actually just a comment uh, from Jerry Cox. Uh, really enjoyed the podcast and have a question regarding noise and ride. Actually, I, I there's another one that was a comment. But anyway, uh, <laughs> noise and ride. It's really important to me how a car takes the bumps and how much road noise makes it to the cabin. Can you provide the decibel rating at 65 to 70 miles an hour for the automobiles reviewed? Um, Jerry, we'd love to. Um, <laughs> exactly. If you will send us uh, a, a sound meter, we would happily uh, do that evaluation <laughs> for you. Um, they, good sound meters, good you know, accurate sound meters are quite expensive. And uh, you may have noticed that there's no ads on this show yet um, and uh, we're not getting paid for it. So, um, you know, anybody that wants to send us a sound meter, we will put it to good use, but unfortunately right now we don't have that equipment available to us. Uh, so we can't give you those numbers. Um, sorry. Uh, that's,
1: <laughs> well, it's a great question though. I love yeah, the it question. Is. Yeah, I know. And, and, and we do try as much as possible to, to talk about road noise and such.
0: Yeah, we, we try to give you our subjective evaluations. You know, And when a, when a car has a lot of road noise or a lot of engine noise, um, you know, especially if it's an unpleasant sound, we do try to highlight that. Um, well, point it out. I don't know if I'd say highlight, but sometimes we highlight it. But we do, we do try to give you a, a, an idea of what to expect uh, from this car. Yes. So, all right. Next up, Robert Clark. Uh, I'm a pretty new listener, and I wanted to let you all know that I really appreciate the show. Uh, Unbiased, honest, and sincere sincere reviews have impressed me. Uh, When I started listening, I expected you only to recommend uh, (laughs) high-priced vehicles and put down affordable vehicles. You haven't done that. I've been impressed and pleased to hear the review and recommended uh, vehicles of all price ranges. Keep up the good work. Thank you, Robert.
1: Thank you. That's lovely.
0: Yes. Uh, That's the one that was the comment. Yes. Um, (laughs) And uh, another one from Blake Swan, who we answered his questions last week, uh, but he's got another one for us. Uh, says, um, question for you: uh, Do you find Lexus relevant anymore when Genesis is offering new rear-wheel drive based SUVs and cars, and even Lincoln is offering rear-drive based SUVs, Corsair side? Uh, I just like the the. I just feel like the RX has only gotten uglier and heavier as time has gone on, while keeping the V6, the 3.5 liter V6, as a staple. Surely, uh, someone will catch on and realize the new RAV4 is better in almost all areas than the NX, based on the prior-gen RAV4 still. Uh, Looking at the 21 uh, Lexus IS, whatever, uh, whatever with its second refresh, does Lexus Toyota care? Um, the flagship LC500 being the lone exception. Even their sports cars, they pay someone else to make them, are half hearted. The new Z looks to be everything the Zupra uh, should have been, and sadly isn't. <laughs> what do you think? Is Lexus relevant?
1: Well, you know, I, I think we talked about this actually last week when we were going over the, the LC500 that I had because. It, it's such a fantastic vehicle. It's a really good example of what Lexus could still be. The brand itself has been has li- been living off of the spoils of the baby boomers for so many decades, really since it started, right? Like, so it started in the mid eighties, right at the time when the oldest baby boomers were moving into peak earning years and they wanted to buy luxury products. They were, you know, dedicated to Toyota and they wanted something more luxurious. So Lexus was created, the same reason Infinity and Acura was created at the same time. But I think that Lexus has, Uh, they were, they were also, they were so invested in the RX. That was their bread and butter for decades. And now the people that bought the RX are empty nesters and retiring. And they're just, you know, they're not buying things like the LC 500. (laughs) So I think that Lexus is struggling to kind of, to stay relevant in, in this marketplace that has so many different demographics in it and so many different cohorts. And when you think about the millennials that, you know, they grew up with Lexus and they are not going to buy what their parents bought. So I think Blake has a point. I, I understand his concern for sure, because I, I do think that Lexus uh, is kind of struggling.
0: A, a yeah, I, I agree. You know, trying to, trying to figure out what they want to be going forward. Yeah, and I think, this, you know, this is a challenge for any brand is, you know, trying to, to understand, you know, what it what it wants to be, what it wants to represent um, and, and who it wants to appeal to. Um, and, you know, for something like Lexus, you know, which started off as, you know, this epitome of refinement and quality, um, you know, is that, you know, when everything, you know, has gotten so good. Yeah, including, you know, Toyota vehicles, you know, that are made by the same manufacturer and in some cases, you know, in the same plants, Um, you know, is there, you know, what's, what's the place of Lexus anymore?
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. I think, and one of the things I would encourage manufacturers to do is, is as they're designing the product to not design for, your audience today, but to look out seven years, who is in the marketplace? How are they different than people that are in the marketplace today? And that's a key thing of like, uh, of some of the work that I've done in the past, understanding the core values, understanding the growing up experience, understanding, you know, how growing up experiences have impacted uh, the the people that are coming into the marketplace and those enduring mindsets and I think that Lexus really I uh, I think that they've struggled a bit in that in in evolving uh, and and you're always going to go through waves you know in of uh, popularity and such but I think that you know they they are vulnerable to being taken over by even a brand like Lincoln that has great product because at the end of the day it does always start and end with product the the marketing needs to enhance that and needs to clarify and and, and confirm that product but you can't sell a product that isn't good and and I think that, you know, and not to say Lexus isn't good, but you know, you've got to sell a product that you believe in. And I think that Lexus has good product, but it's not as exciting, perhaps. And it may be a little bit more stayed than, and, and hasn't stayed as relevant, even though they could. You know, they there is there is. I think the LC five hundred shows that there is passion there and there is capability there. And, and look, you know, they they have done some great things with Toyota. So it's there. It's it's in there. It's in their wheelhouse. I think they just haven't really been able to execute as well. And I have to laugh. Blake says, um, "I'm a senior financial analyst who also was an auditor in her prior life." Uh, just an FYI. Uh, Blake, I used to work for the FDIC and I closed banks and I have an accounting degree. So when we talk about people that are in the financial field, we, we do, because he says something about, we don't, uh, so don't think finance people don't enjoy splurging on fun cars. (laughs) (laughs) I would assure you that my FDIC background has not hindered my ability to enjoy fun cars.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And, you know, with, with with reference to Genesis, you know, which is part of the original question, you know, while, you know, we have been, you know, we've praised Genesis vehicles uh, profusely over the last several years. um, You know, the reality is, you know, that Genesis is, as good as we think their cars are um, is still very much, you know, I would grade them an incomplete, um, you know, because, you know, they, they haven't really been able to get, Sales ramped up. You know they haven't well, been the, able to, they haven't been able to get the market really excited about it yet.
1: Well, the, I mean, first of all, it's product, right? They're yeah. they're the GB80 is. We're still waiting. We saw it. It's still not out yet, though. Mm-hmm. And so they don't have an SUV in their in their lineup. They started with two sedans. Sedans are fantastic in the Korean market. They are not appropriate in the U.S. market, and the dealer network. Ironically, since we talked at length about dealers, their franchise, they had all sorts of fits and starts with how they were going to roll out this brand. So they didn't have they they really didn't have the right product to start with, even though it's really good. It's not people aren't buying sedans. It's not, it's not
0: the right product for this market. It's at not this time. the right
1: product exactly. And then you couple that with the uh, with the the disruption that they had with their dealer network, who was gonna get them. Some dealers weren't weren't gonna be getting a Genesis. First, they wanted separate showrooms, which was very, very expensive as we talked about earlier. And then they said, okay, well, only a certain number of dealers were gonna get them. And then that pissed off other dealers. And it just was this kind of escalation. Now they've actually lost some very good senior people. So Manfred Fitzgerald is who was the CEO and, and oversaw some of the development of a number of these vehicles. Uh, he is gone. Luke, whose last name you know Dr. how to Volk. pronounce, thank you. Um, he has left the company as well. And Luke actually oversaw a lot of the design of these really good products. Sung Yip, one of his uh, his colleagues, is still there and and will carry on that that vision. But you know, they they also lost a fantastic young designer uh, who did some really cool concepts for them. So. They, there is disruption there. They have lost some people that, that kind of had that, that that stabilized the vision, and now those people have moved on. So it's definitely a company in transition. Uh, we'll see. We'll see where where they end up.
0: Yeah, it's uh, I hope they succeed, you know, because they've they've done some great products um, and they've got more more coming. So absolutely. It's it's going to be a challenge. It's it's always a challenge getting a new brand up and running, just as it's a challenge perpetuating an old brand. You know, it's not easy to it's not easy to keep a brand relevant, um, you know. Cadillac yep. has struggled with it. You know, Lincoln struggled with it for a long time. They seem to have found their way in recent years um, to to a large degree. But, you know, even that, you know, we'll see if they can keep that going, keep that momentum going.
1: Right. Because the product, the product for Lincoln is there, yeah. but, and sales are improving for sure. Um, but I do still think that they're, they, they still have a lot of work to do.
0: Oh yeah, Absolutely. All right. Well, thank you everyone for your letters. Keep them coming in. Uh, We love, we love having that stuff to talk about. Um, And uh, you know, if you, if you like what you hear, you know, give us a rating somewhere on Apple podcasts or whatever, you know, whatever you listen to. And uh, if you happen to be an Amazon Music listener, uh, Wheel is now available in the podcast section on Amazon Music. Uh, I didn't even know that. How
1: exciting! It just, that's it just exciting. launched.
0: It just ah. launched recently, and I made sure to get the show in there. And oh, that's it's also, amazing! It's also on Spotify. If you listen to podcasts there, and, and then you know whatever podcatcher you use, all the yes. there's links to all that stuff on WheelBearings.media. Just click on the uh, at the top of the page on the subscribe to the show. You'll find links to a, a bunch of the most popular podcast players. and and services where you can find us.
1: Yep, and follow us on Twitter. And um, all good things. And Dan will probably be back with us next week unless he gets trapped under something heavy.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, everybody. (laughs) Bye.
1: Thanks, everyone. Bye.